Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I know it's hard to switch gears when you're talking about something really serious and something close to your heart. That I know for me yesterday as I was studying, it was definitely very heavy upon me uh, what was going on with, with Gary and a few other people actually that have some, some serious health issues going on that we've been praying for. Praying that the Lord meets each of us this morning and lifts those, lifts those weights on our shoulders. But Acts chapter 16, this morning we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at closed doors and a divine calling. Closed doors and a divine calling. Our main text is going to be Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. But just for some context, over our last two studies, we've been seeing a, a big shift, a big change take place. First, as we saw the ministry team of Paul and Barnabas split because of a disagreement that turned into a sharp contention that divided these two men. But second, as we saw a new ministry team form and a a new missionary journey begin. And with that, we found in our study last week that Paul and Silas added a young disciple named Timothy who is a half-Jew, half-Greek, uncircumcised young man to their ministry team, who Paul had circumcised so that there would be nothing potentially hindering the gospel from going out to unbelieving Jews who, who could have been offended or stumbled by Timothy. And as we saw, it wasn't a matter of doctrine, but instead was a matter of evangelistic effectiveness, and showed great humility and godly maturity and love for lost people in Timothy who willingly laid aside his own personal freedoms for the sake of the gospel. These things being a great example that point us back to Jesus whose whole life consisted of laying down his rights, his life, for the sake of others, for you and me. There's been a lot in our last two studies, to be challenged by and to to pray through and to seek to apply to our own lives personally. But now with that in mind, let's read verses 6 through 8. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. They just finished taking the the letter from the Jerusalem Council to the churches throughout Cilicia after doing the same thing throughout Syria with, with the result being that the churches were strengthened in the faith as we saw in verse five and they increased in numbers uh, in numbers daily, which is another one of Luke's progress reports he gives in this book. But now we find Paul and Silas and Timothy going through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, or more likely the Phrygian region of Galatia, with a desire of preaching the word in Asia. And when we think of Asia, we think of the Asian continent. This was not the Asia that Luke had in mind as he wrote, this Asia would be Asia Minor. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit forbidding them in just a little bit. But 
in verse 7, we find them still traveling on, coming to Mycenae and trying to go into Bithynia, but the spirit, and some manuscripts say spirit of Jesus, did not permit them. And so, passing by Mycenae, as we see in verse 8, they came down to Troas. Now, we just read about a bunch of different locations, but what's this journey sort of looking like geographically, and, and where exactly are they trying to go? Well, at the start of this journey from Lystra, near Syria, they traveled and started to travel northwest into the central part of modern-day Turkey, going through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, which is probably a reference to them visiting the churches in, in Iconium and Pisidian Antioch, with the desire of going further southwest into the southern and, uh, southern and western portion of modern-day Turkey into what was called Asia or Asia Minor in that day, which is where Ephesus and Colossae was located. Paul was wanting to get down into that, into that uh, western half, that southern western half that they hadn't yet taken the gospel into. And specifically, Paul had a pattern of going into the major cities because that's where the most amount of people oftentimes lived. He wanted to get the gospel to where the people were, wanting to affect the city centers. It would be like us in our day targeting San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York City. Paul's mindset was similar in that sort of way. That's, that's where he wanted to go. And so that's what he had in his mind to do. But when they were fitted, forbidden by the Holy Spirit from going southwest into Asia, we're told that they came to Mycenae in the northwest corner of modern-day Turkey, there near the Aegean Sea. And we're told they tried to go into Bithynia, which means that they've now done this really interesting route. Hundreds of miles, upwards of 400 miles of traveling, likely by foot, traveling across the Taurus Mountains, wanting to go down. So they're, they're starting to make sort of this route. They'd find these major trade routes, these roads, and they would begin to travel, travel on them. And we don't know exactly how the Spirit of God forbade them, but they start going this direction, and then there's this obvious redirecting that's taking place. And so as they're going southwest into the southwestern part of Turkey, they, they realize that's not, we're not supposed to do that. They start to travel northwest and and, and, and wanting to go all the way up into Bithynia, which was actually in the central, most northern part of Turkey. So they've gone down, they're going up, and now they're wanting to go all the way back. And, and we're told that the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And I wonder how frustrating potentially that could have been for Paul and Silas and Timothy. I don't know about you, but for me, it I'd be thinking in my mind, like, that would have been nice to know before we did all this traveling. Like, Lord, could you have told us 200 miles ago that you were going to forbid us and not permit us? Like, could you have told us ahead of time? Like, what you, you knew what we were going to do. You let us travel all that way. We started to make our way down, 
And then there's this obvious sort of roadblock, whether that was a prophetic word or a vision or, or some sort of uh, just inward um, realization and sense of, uh, of unrest from the Lord that that wasn't what he had. But they're doing all this traveling and they're just, it's a no and it's a no. And, and, and they're trying to get back. They want to go into these areas that they hadn't yet gone to with the gospel and all they're getting is nose. So now they're still in the northwest corner of Turkey in the area of Mycia, and they come to this port town of Troas, which was located on the Aegean Sea, just kind of catty corner from the European continent. Clearly, Paul's second missionary journey started differently than his first missionary journey. You know, the first missionary journey was prompted during a time of the church leaders in Syrian Antioch ministering to the Lord and fasting, and that in that time of ministering and, and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And to that, the church leaders prayed and fasted some more, and laid their hands on them and sent them out and and really, as we're told in the following verse after that in chapter 13, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God in that first missionary journey, journey divinely interrupted and spoke and made it clear what he was wanting to do and who he wanted involved in, in that work which he was calling those two men to launch into. And, and it's awesome when the Lord, by his Spirit, does those sorts of things, when he moves in that sort of way when he speaks in such clarity. But sometimes the Spirit of God speaks and moves and calls and sends people in much more subtle and not so clear ways. You know, when we look back at chapter 15, verse 36, we don't find any sort of divine interruption. We don't find that the Holy Spirit spoke in some unmistakable way all we find is that paul had this desire in his heart to go back and visit the believers in every city where they had already preached the word of the lord see how they were doing a, a desire ultimately to strengthen the churches and in fact when thinking about this idea of being led by this holy spirit or called by the spirit or sent by the spirit the first couple times that we've seen the Holy Spirit's involvement here in Paul's second missionary journey is us seeing the Holy Spirit forbidding Paul and his team from preaching and then not permitting them to go into another area. And you know what? We could take these two situations where the Holy Spirit was telling them no and think, you know what? Wow, the Holy Spirit must not have been down with any of this doesn't seem to be approving of what they're doing. His hand must not have been upon them. Maybe this is just them doing this in their own wisdom or strength or efforts. And, or, or maybe we might even think, you know, maybe they're actually outside of God's will here. But we have to understand that these men actually displayed a great amount of sensitivity to the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit to even hear or sense 
that the Spirit of God did not want them to do something or to go somewhere in the first place. Their desires were good desires. Preaching the word of the Lord in Asia and no doubt wanting to do the same thing in Bithynia, but with those desires, they were also listening and open and flexible and yielded to what the Spirit of God wanted as they acted upon those desires that they had in their hearts. Instead of just moving forward with their plans in spite of what the Spirit of God was forbidding them from doing and not permitting them from going, they they humbled themselves and obeyed and got in line with what His will was instead of their own. But that's not easy, is it? It's not easy. Understand the Holy Spirit was leading Paul and his team on this second missionary journey, leading them here in the beginning stages of this journey, leading them by closing doors and saying no. Now, having said that, this is not the way any of us in our flesh ever likes to be led by the Holy Spirit. Any of you like to be told no? Not one hand. No one likes to be told no? No, we don't like it. It starts as a little kid, right? When a parent tells a child no, it doesn't go over well usually. There's some sort of like strong reaction. You're telling me no, I can't touch the fire on the stove. You're telling me no, I can't climb up on the bookshelf. You're telling me no, that I can't go outside by myself. You're you're telling me no on something and maybe even it's good things that I'm being told no, I can't have this thing or do this thing or go to this place. We never have liked it. Never once in our lives have we ever liked being told no. And that transfers over to our relationship with the Lord. We don't even like it when God tells us no. When God tells us no, what ends up happening oftentimes? Our reaction shows, I think I know better than him. I think I'm smarter. I think I'm wiser. I think I know myself for the situation a little bit more. God, why would you tell me no? We think of that passage in Psalms where it says, delight yourself in the Lord. He he shall give you the desires of your heart. And we start thinking like, well, I'm just going to live for the Lord, do what I'm going to do, and he's going to bless it. He's going to tell me yes. That's what God's all about. He's just the yes man in my life. But there's there's a hitch in that passage of Psalm 37. That hitch is he'll give you the desires of your heart, but the hitch is, You've got to be delighting yourself in the Lord. Delighting yourself in the Lord doesn't just mean, Lord, I like you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I told you I'd follow you. Delighting ourselves in the Lord means that all of our desires are towards him. Lord, whatever your will is, whatever your plan is, whatever your desires are for my life, that's what I want. What delighting ourselves look like is, Lord, it's not about me at all. It's about you. What do you want, Lord? Whatever your pleasure is, whatever your will is, whatever's going to bring you glory, even if it's hard for me, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, Lord, 
That's what I'm going to be about. And when our hearts are truly in that place of delighting fully in the Lord, you know what we'll find? That his desires become our desires. When we're really delighting ourselves in the Lord, the Lord puts his desires in our hearts and we begin to walk in things that may not have been a desire previously that now is a desire presently because God is our desire. You ever found yourself in that spot? Man, it is a sweet place to be in. And when God tells us no, we can have a little bit more humility in how we respond. You know, guys, we, we love the divine interruption. We love the unmistakable voice. We love the clear and undeniable calling, empowering, sending. We love it when the Holy Spirit leads us in those ways. We love it when God tells us yes and opens doors and provides confirmation in the things he's leading us in. But we're often left with uncertainty and discouragement and confusion and even frustration when God leads us by telling us wait or by telling us no or by closing a door. Yet the Spirit of God leads us just as much through closed doors and no's as he does through open doors and yeses. But do we allow God to tell us no? Because I think sometimes what happens is, and I've seen this even in church ministry. I was a part of a, a church where I was on staff. And within the senior leadership, what often was, was evident when there was some sort of a closed door was, well, then we got to break the door down. That was sort of the mentality. It wasn't let's wait, let's pray some more, let's see why God has shut this door. It was like, let's just push through. If God's closed the door, he's just testing our strength to break it down. No. <laughs> he might be closing the door because he doesn't want you going through the door. Now, having said all that, sometimes it can actually be our spiritual enemy hindering us and seeking to undermine or derail what the Lord is wanting to do, which Paul had the discernment and maturity and wisdom to know was the case in what he wrote to the church in Thessalonica in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, where he told the church later on there that he had wanted to come to them time and again, but specifically said that Satan had hindered them. Paul the discernment in that specific situation to go, Satan has hindered us. It wasn't the Lord. It was Satan who did it. But you know what? Sometimes, guys, we give Satan a little too much credit. Sometimes we attribute too much things to Satan. Sometimes, I don't know if you've seen this to be true, but in some believers' lives, everything is the devil's behind it. And sometimes it could be true. But other times it might be the spirit of God telling somebody no and it's a lot easier to just blame it on the devil so that you can keep doing what you want to do. None of us wants to find ourselves in that place. Clearly here in our text, Satan wasn't the one hindering them. Wasn't the one putting the roadblocks. 
Luke records for us that the Holy Spirit was the one forbidding, preventing them from preaching the word in Asia, and then not permitting them to go into Bithynia where they would preach too. But we might ask, you know, why would the Holy Spirit forbid or not permit us from doing something for Jesus and his kingdom, especially preaching his gospel and wanting to take his gospel to people who haven't yet heard his gospel? Why would God respond to good and godly desires by saying no? Well, some possible reasons or factors for this could be number one, timing. The divine timing of the Lord might not be known by us, but this factor is huge. We live in this microwave, you know, fast food era where we want everything now, 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 like something's in our mind. We want it to do it right now. We want it now. We want same day delivery when we get shipping done because nobody wants to wait. If you have to have a drone, strong drone, fly it to my house, like, let's do it. I'll pay a little bit extra money for it. We've got people delivering food that never happened before. So we don't even have to go anywhere to get our food anymore. You can bring it to us. People, we get food delivered here to the school, and I think that's awesome. But, you know, it's like, this is, this is the era that we're in. We're, we're so just whatever's in my heart I want right now, I want this thing to be done. Lord, if I'm in a trial, let's make it as quick as possible. But there's this timetable that you and I are not privy to, that God is working behind the scenes, seeing the end from the beginning and going, it's not right now. Oftentimes what God tells us, even it, it may not be no, but oftentimes what he tells us is just wait. And we hate it. We hate to wait. There's never a time when we like to wait for anything. And yet how important it is as disciples of Jesus to learn to wait upon the Lord to let him be God over our circumstances and the timing of when things happen he's got a timing for things his no might not be forever it might just be temporary but sometimes what seems to be a no is is actually him saying, wait, God was going to use Paul to bring the gospel into Asia, into Asia Minor, specifically Ephesus, but not yet. It wasn't the right time. Timing is one of those factors that's huge to consider when we're hearing a no or a wait or, or seeing a closed door from the Lord. But the second thing I would say is the factor of preparation. There is this preparatory work that God is always working in each of our lives. Have you seen that? That the things that you're facing now, God's been preparing you in advance for. That there's been things that you've been through in the past that God was already doing something five years ago, ten years ago. 
20 years ago, 10 months ago, that he was doing to prepare you, allowing you to go through, to refine you, so that when his timing is right, what's going on in your life is right too. This preparatory work, which often looks like refinement and growth and maturity and equipping is is another big factor that we have to keep in mind when considering why God might be saying no or wait or, or closing a door. Instead of asking God why, oftentimes what I think is needed in our prayer life is to ask God what. What are you wanting to do in me? Not why are you allowing this, but God, what are you wanting to produce in my life? What are the things that you're wanting to change? How are you wanting to grow me? God, what do you want to do with me? Another factor is calling. You know, you and I may not be the person he wants to send or that he wants to use. He may want to use or send someone else. The, the gospel was going to go into Bithynia, which is clear from Peter in his first letter writing specifically to the scattered believers. And in one of the mentions, he says, Bithynia. But Paul wasn't who God was calling, who God was choosing to bring the gospel there. This factor of calling is another thing that we have to consider. But the last thing I would say, and there's probably more that we could draw out of this, but the, 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 the fourth factor that I would say is the factor of his purposes. God is working something deeper and broader and greater behind the scenes for his eternal purposes and glory. His nose and weights and closed doors are an opportunity to trust in the Lord and rest upon the Lord and his purposes and will and way. You know, sometimes the things that God is allowing in our lives, I believe, are not even specifically for us. Sometimes I think the trials that he allows us to go through are actually for the benefit of other people. The things that we're going through, as we trust in the Lord, as we press into the Lord, it's actually for, for, the, for the, the, the desire to be a witness, that our trial, our suffering would be a witness to other people. And, and you know, we could think, well, that's cruel of God. Why would you allow me to go through something to benefit somewhere, someone else? It's not cruel because this life's not about us. This life is about the kingdom of God. This life is about seeing lost people brought into the kingdom of God. This life is about seeing other people fall in love with Jesus and want to serve him. That's what this life is supposed to be all about. It's not about me and it's not about you. Although oftentimes we make it that. God has purposes and ways and timing, and preparation, and calling, and all of these things are things that when we're presented with the no, or the wait, or the closed door, that guys, we can pray through these things, and ask God these questions. God, what are you doing? What are you wanting to do? What's your timing? Lord, help me to wait well, because I've waited, and waited horribly. 
Anybody else? Anyone else ever waited horribly upon the Lord? You're like, I'm waiting because I'm forced to. <laughs> but you're, you're really a terrible waiter, not in like a waiter in a restaurant sense. Anyways, moving on. You know, many of you might know this, but the Lord directed me and my family here to Walnut Creek to plant this church through some closed doors and a vision also. Although the Lord had put the Bay Area on our hearts and we had been praying for the Bay Area for a few years before moving here in, in the summer of 2014, we really didn't know for sure what the Lord was calling us, uh, didn't know if the Lord for sure was calling us here or if he was, when he would even do that. So we just kind of kept plugging along in life and ministry where we lived in Lake Elsinore. We were taking steps towards buying a house there about eight years ago. We had been saving money. We had moved in with my in-laws for a season, supposed to be like a month or two. It ended up being like a year and three months. We were in a perfect position to jump on something if it came up, and every house we tried to get just didn't work out. Sounds a lot like right now, also, for a lot of people. In fact, the last house we ended up putting an offer on, we, we offered, I think, $20,000 over the list price because of some of the cash offers that were coming in that people were taking, even if they were less. And, and we waited, and then all of a sudden, the listing was removed. We we're like, that's odd, because usually it'll just say pending or closed or whatever, just gone. A month or so later, the house was listed again, but this time it was listed for even less than it was the time before. And I remember realizing at that time that the Lord was clearly closing the door on us buying a house down there. And to be honest, those closed doors were discouraging at times. We didn't know what the Lord was doing. Not only was he closing the doors on a place to live there, he wasn't yet opening the doors and making it fully clear that he, wanting, that he wanted us to move up here to start this church either. But in the midst of the closed doors, God also gave a vision, not to me, but to my wife. I was praying and seeking the Lord about coming up here. I was praying specifically for my wife to have the same sort of confidence from the Lord too. Lord, speak to Angela. Uh, give her confirmation. I want her to be just as confident that you're calling us as, as I am beginning to be. Because I didn't want it to be one of those stories that I've heard of church planners where they move somewhere, the wife never was really fully on board, and then you know, four or five years in, the, the, it's just too much. The, the wife's unhappy and, and they end up leaving the church. I didn't want to be sort of a statistic of a failed church plant or something like that. I wanted my wife to be fully confident that God was in this, just like I was beginning to be. So I was praying specifically, Lord, speak to her. And, and then God starts to speak to her. And I, you know, I'm to totally fine with this. I'm totally not jealous at all in any way, shape, or form, maybe a little, but, you know, it's like, I'm getting confirmation, and then it's like, okay, you know, not really as much, but then my wife's sharing with me stuff all the time, the Lord's here, and this thing, and then this, she's, he's showing me this, and then, and then one day, the Lord gives my wife this vision, gives Angela this fidget, vision uh, of, of two large robed arms coming down, and coming around a bunch of sheep 
and, and picking them all up and placing them on a hill. And in that vision, she sees the, the top of the hill beginning to be cut out and the sheep kind of sunk into the top of the hill there. And where the sheep were, a, a, a large tree sprang up that grew tall and wide with its branches. And I remember at that time, the Lord really impressing upon us that there was sheep here without a shepherd. And knowing in that vision that God was wanting to do that gathering and planting sort of work. I remember God specifically in one of the passages in Isaiah, there's this passage and specifically in context, it was talking about the nation of Israel, but God really spoke to my heart, the verse, and I, it fails me the reference right this second, but it says that it'll be a branch of his planting, the work of his hands, that he might be glorified. And I remember just standing upon that, Lord, with this work that you're wanting to do here in Walnut Creek, it's going to be a branch of your planting. You're going to plant it. It's going to be a work of your hands. You're going to do the work so that you get all the glory. And we've seen the Lord do that, but that vision, I don't believe we've seen the fulfillment of all that God intended in that vision. The Spirit of God led my family here through closed doors and open doors, confirmation through His Word and other believers, a vision. I could literally talk to you for hours about all the things and ways that God worked and how He brought us here. But I share all of that to help us know that the Holy Spirit today is still wanting to lead and is leading each of us in similar sorts of ways through both closed doors and open doors through confirmation, through the counsel of other believers, through visions and dreams even, and ultimately his word, which trumps all the other ways that he might lead us. You know, he may not lead each of us through an actual vision, although he can, but oftentimes he'll lead us through closed doors and times of waiting and, and him saying no, using each of those things to lead and to, and to direct us, to get us on board and in line with his will and his plan and his vision for our lives. And these things are true for how he wants to lead this church also. Guys, we've been in a season of closed doors and no's and waiting. But I believe it's also been a season of preparation, a season of refinement a season of equipping us and uniting us together for whatever vision and direction and open doors and yeses that the Lord is going to give as we wait upon him and seek to be about him and his kingdom and his glory and his gospel. Paul and his team had traveled upwards of 400 miles to have God say no and close doors two separate times with things are about to change, as we're going to see in verses 9 and 10. Let's read those two verses. Verse 9, and, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. After being told no, God now gives Paul this vision. 
which is really an, an urgent and serious invitation and call for help. This vision appeared to Paul in the night, and we don't know if he was sleeping or not when this vision uh, came to him. But in this vision, he sees this man of Macedonia standing, pleading with him, urging him, saying, travel over, come over, travel here to Macedonia and help us. Now, Macedonia geographically is just northwest across the Aegean Sea from Troas. It was located in the northern part of modern-day Greece, Macedonia being the territory where Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea were. And really, this is the first positive thing, the first positive direction, the first positive opportunity that they had received from the Lord since they began traveling those 400-ish miles from Lystra. You know, through the nose, God led them to the port town of Troas, which was the perfect place to sail out of, to get over to Macedonia. And in their time of waiting in Troas, and no doubt, no doubt lots of praying, God had their attention. He had stripped away the plans that, that weren't what he wanted. He had done a, a preparatory work in their hearts through the different closed doors to where he could now give Paul this vision so that Paul would know exactly what it is the Lord wanted, where he wanted them to go, and who he wanted them to reach. In the beginning of this trip, Paul might have thought that he knew what the Lord wanted this, to trip, this trip to look like. In fact, he stated it, right? Let's go over all the areas that we had just gone. See how they're doing. That was Paul's plan. That was Paul's vision for the trip. Let's just go back. Let's see how they're doing. And as they saw how everyone was doing, they just kept going. There's not a point where we get this update. Paul thought, let's try something different. This says they tried to go to a certain area. And God said, no. Let's go to this other area. Nope, not going there either. Well, I guess let's just hang out at Troas for a little bit. Kind of cool, port town, got the beach here. Everything's great. And then God meets them. God speaks, he moves After that vision, you know, and I, I believe through that vision, as God closed these doors and brought Paul and his team back, or got, got them to Troas, I believe that God brought them back to that place of complete dependency and desperation and surrender, which is where he wants us to stay all the time. And then getting that vision, we read in verse 10, immediately they sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called them. After concluding twice before the Holy Spirit was not calling them to go out into other areas, this vision made it clear that God was calling them to go to Macedonia, and immediately they sought to go. There's no more uncertainty, no more confusion. Now there's just clarity and certainty. 
And this certainty led them to respond with immediacy, not wasting any time, but taking steps right away, making preparations in order to get where the Lord was calling them to go and to the people he wanted them to reach. And this vision was leading Paul and his team into a new area to people who hadn't yet received the gospel into Europe. Now, in that day, they didn't have like continental sort of differentiations. It was all the Roman Empire. That's just a different province of the Roman Empire. It all belongs to Rome. But we know geographically that Paul and his team were now venturing into the European continent. God was taking it out of Israel, out of Asia Minor, and bringing them into Europe for the very first time into the country of Greece. And God was going to do a powerful work there that was going to start in Macedonia that would have a ripple effect throughout history as the gospel would take root in Europe and then from Europe the gospel being taken into the rest of the world. But notice that the first use of the words we and us in this narrative of the book of Acts up to this point is in verse 10, which lets us know that Luke joined Paul's ministry team at this point. Before this, it was all talking in third person. They went there and, you know, they were about this, but now Luke is including him as part of this narrative. We concluded that the Lord was calling us. But Something interesting, after Paul's time in Philippi here in chapter 16, we're not going to see Luke use the terms we and us again until the beginning of chapter 20 when Paul actually revisits the city of Philippi, which could mean that Luke, who may have been from Philippi originally, is going to stay in Philippi when Paul and Silas and Timothy continue on into Thessalonica and further into this second missionary journey, but we can't know for sure that that was the case. But I I love it that Luke tells us that they concluded they had a unity in their decision that God had called them and that that calling was to preach the gospel to them, the people of Macedonia. This was their desire all along, to bring the gospel to lost people, to Jews and Gentiles, that those sitting in darkness would have the light of Jesus Christ shine into their lives to bring them out of the darkness and into the marvelous light of the kingdom of Jesus to receive his salvation, to be given new life and eternal life. When Paul saw the vision and the man said, come and help us immediately in Paul's mind, that help translated into bring us the gospel he didn't say guys we need to organize some sort of humanitarian aid project although those things are good and they have their place when this man from macedonia said come over here and help us paul heard in his heart in his mind preach the gospel to us what greater help could they bring than bringing the, the, the gospel that would rescue a person from an eternity in hell? This was 
what Paul in his mind is hard when he processed things, when he heard things, when he saw things, everything in Paul's mind, just like we saw last week when we considered Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, I won't eat, I won't drink, like I won't do anything that will stumble anybody else. If it offends anybody else from receiving the gospel, I won't do it. My life is bound up in the gospel. My life is bound up in lost people getting saved. This is how Paul filtered everything else in his life. He filtered it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. How is my life going to affect someone else's ability to hear, to receive the Lord? How's my life possibly going to be to stumble somebody else? What is this person really needing? And in Paul's mind, there's this filter where everything went through the filter of the gospel, through the word of God. And it's such a needed filter for you and for me because we can easily get caught up in all kinds of lesser things that could even be good things that are not the best things or they're not the right things or they're not the things that Jesus is actually wanting us to be about when we stop making the gospel and the word of God the filter by which we see everything and process everything that we experience and and see and, and get to be a part of. What would happen for us as believers if that shift took place in us? If there was a gospel-mindedness and a kingdom-mindedness in us that matched what the Apostle Paul had. I mean, some of us in some ways might go, well, that was great for Paul, and I'm thankful that God used Paul in that way, and I'm thankful that God geared Paul in that way. But do we really think at the end of the day that God's just wanting us to look at these people that he used and go, well, that's just for people who are really serious about the Lord, but not me. <laughs> now, I think God wants us to be just as serious about the Lord, just as serious about the kingdom, just as serious about the gospel getting out as Paul was, as Silas was, as Timothy was, as Peter was as the Apostle John was, as all of these other people who we hear mentioned that were a part of Paul's ministry team at different points, who weren't pastors, weren't elders, weren't church leaders, weren't apostles, weren't prophets, weren't evangelists. They were just people, men and women, who were willing to step into the gap and to go, Jesus, use me. Jesus, I want my life to be all about you. And then just walking in those things that the Lord had prepared for them because he's got things prepared for you and me too. Good works that he just wants us to walk in. I like what David Gusick said about verses 9 and 10. He said the Macedonian man wanted help, so Paul went to bring Macedonia the gospel, the best possible help. The greatest help we can bring anyone is the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good for us to bring other help along with the gospel, but without 
the gospel, little real help is given. Guys, that is so true. And I pray that God instills in us an even greater sense of urgency an even greater boldness to get the gospel out to lost people, seeing that there are people all around us in need of help. They're in need of rescue, a help that can only come from receiving Jesus's free gift of salvation. And we're gonna get into this account more next week as we begin to see Paul and Silas and Timothy make their way into the city of Philippi. But I want to ask us some questions this morning in closing. Are we open and flexible and yielded to the Holy Spirit and his leading today? I can't answer that for you. Are you? Am I? Am I flexible? Am I open? Am I yielded to the Spirit of God leading me, leading you? How do we react or respond when the Lord tells us to, to wait or tells us no or closes a door? You know, how we respond in these situations can also tell us what amount of lordship Jesus actually has in our lives. Because if we respond by abrasiveness, by being repulsed by the Lord telling us no or we're aggravated or we're frustrated or whatever. What that might reveal to us is that the lordship of Jesus is restricted in certain ways. He can be Lord of some things, but not of all things. Are, are we listening? Are we obedient? Are we sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is speaking and how he's directing us. Are we really delighting ourselves in the Lord? Or are we just kind of doing what's in our heart, thinking that's what's the right thing, missing that first crucial ingredient of making the Lord our delight, making him everything? Guys, are you facing some closed doors today? Some no's, some waits. I encourage you, instead of asking why, ask the Lord what. Instead of saying, Lord, why? Why are you allowing this, Lord? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you letting me? Why aren't you making this thing work out? Maybe the right question would be, Lord, what? What are you wanting to do in me? How are you wanting to grow me? What sort of preparatory work are you trying to do right now? Lord, help me to not fight against that, but help me to surrender, to really fully surrender to you. And I encourage you, if that's you, press into the Lord. Prayerfully wait upon him. Put yourself in a position of dependency and desperation and surrender before him and watch what he does. Guys, let me remind us this morning that whether it's a no or a yes, whether it's an open door or a closed door, God knows what he's doing and what he's allowing, and he never makes a mistake. Never once has God ever said, whoops, oh, dang, I didn't see that one. 
Oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. Oh, shoot, I made them wait too long. I walked away. My alarm clock didn't go off. My, I hit snooze. I didn't hear it. Never happens. None of those things are a factor in God's perfection. He's perfect, and his ways are perfect, and his timing is perfect, and his purposes are perfect, and you and I can trust him. We can trust him. We can rest in him even when we don't know what he's doing. Even when we don't know the whys. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Look, this morning, I pray you're encouraged today. Like, I, I pray this isn't one of those like, well, you know what? I just stink as a believer. I'm doing all the right. I'm a horrible weight-er you know, I'm, I'm mad at the Lord when he tells me no. But, you know, God's got grace for us today. In that refining work is the grace and mercy of God towards you and me. Because I don't know about you, but my own life before the Lord, if I was God, I would have chucked me a long time ago. That phrase, that word long-suffering, I can apply that at so many points in the past to how I've affected the Lord. God has suffered long with me at many different points in my life, has shown an incredible amount of patience. But he is patient and he's full of grace and mercy and long suffering towards us. Why? Because he loves us because he's got a plan and he's working and in his grace in our failings and frustrations and those moments where we look back and we go gosh lord i really wish i would have responded differently i wish i would have done things differently that in his grace he goes get back up let's keep going i've got more that i want to do Never is God done with us, not until we breathe our last breath. That good work that he's begun, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. What's that work? What's that work that maybe you're wishing, God, I wish that work would accelerate. <laughs> I wish you would do a greater work, Lord. Pray through those things. Bring them to the Lord. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Let him be Lord of all, not just Lord of some. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that God, even with the great apostle Paul, you told him no. You closed doors. You made him wait. Lord, what a great encouragement that is to us today as disciples of Jesus. Lord, to be reminded, Lord, that you have purposes when you say no, Lord, when you say wait, when you close the door. God, help us to respond well in the waiting. Lord, help us to respond well when you say no or when you close the door. Help us, God, to not just keep Crashing through the door when you close it. But Lord, would we 
God, really prayerfully wait upon you and seek you. God, will we be sensitive and open and flexible and yielded to your spirit, Lord, your voice. And God, would you speak to us in these days? We pray for that clarity, Lord, those confirmations, those counsels from other believers, that those words in your word that would direct us, God, a vision or a dream even, Lord, just God, that you would lead us in those ways as well. But Lord, help us to not forget that you lead us just as much through closed doors and waits and, yet, and, and no's. God as, God, as you do through the yeses and the open doors. God, lead us in these days, Lord, personally and corporately as a church. Lord, make us even more so gospel-centered, Lord, kingdom-minded, Lord, that everything in our lives would filter through the lens of gospel urgency, of kingdom supremacy, Lord, that Jesus, life is all about you and what you're wanting to do and bringing people into your kingdom. Lord, would we get on board with your plan, your vision, your will, Lord, in the coming days and months and years, God, until Jesus calls us in the clouds. Lord, make us about your kingdom. Give us a boldness. Lord, give us an urgency. Lord, give us your love for lost people. Lord, give us your eyes to see people the way that you do. Lord, lead us in these days. God, we're in need of you. And as we're praying, if there's anybody this morning, and maybe just for you, that this, this first sort of thing that, that Jesus is wanting, his vision for your life is actually just for you to come to a place of surrender, a place of saying, you know what, I've been living life on my own, I've been trying to make it, doing the right things maybe, or maybe you've been not been doing the right things, you're just living however you want, and this morning, the, the reality of scripture tells us that each one of us is a sinner, separated from God by our sins, unless we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the, the salvation that Jesus offers by grace through faith, wants to give that to every single person, doesn't desire any would perish, but that all would come to repentance in this morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe for you, you're needing to just turn to Jesus, to repent of your sin and to turn fully to him. If that's anybody here, would you stand, if that's you, this morning to say, you know what, that's me. I, I need a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need my sins forgiven, my debt being paid. Maybe that's someone online this morning, you're tuning in and that's you. I would just encourage you to just in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. Jesus, I, I want your forgiveness. I want your salvation. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. Be my friend. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I put my faith in you today, Jesus. 
I just encourage you as you pray that, that the Bible says you will be saved. You genuinely pray that and mean that in your heart. You will be saved. You know, maybe today it's not a moment of salvation for anyone here. Maybe it's just, you know what? There's things that God has allowed in your life and you're going, you know what? I've not handled it well. (laughs) I want to do things differently. I want to be led by the Spirit of God genuinely. I'd love to pray for you this morning if that's anybody here. Would you stand where you're at to say, you know what? I want to be led afresh by the Spirit of God. Maybe it's for you, it's I just want to be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. Would you stand this morning if that's anybody here this morning? You're going, I want that fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God upon my life. Yeah, that's a good thing. Lord, fill me and Lord, lead me. Make me flexible and open and yielded to you. Help me to hear your voice, to follow your lead. Lord, I I pray for my friends this morning as they're standing, Lord, in a posture of, of dependency, of desperation, Lord, of surrender to you this morning. God, would you meet each one of them where they're at? Lord, whether for them it's a, it's a stand to say, you know what, I've not been waiting well. I've not handled the nose of the Lord or the closed doors well. I've been frustrated and angry and confused and irritated. Or, or maybe it's standing just saying, you know what, Lord, I, wanna, I want your spirit poured out upon me afresh today. That I would be filled continually with your spirit, as Paul wrote about in Ephesians Lord, would you meet them in that place? God, you know where they're at. God, pour out your spirit upon them. Lord God, fill them to overflowing, God. Lord, would you strengthen them, God, whatever it is that they're dealing with, whatever it is, God, that they're facing. Lord, would you meet them and God, minister to them and God, prepare them, equip them, refine them, Lord, in the time of waiting that they may be in. Lord, that their hearts would be ready and right before you to receive, Lord, the vision that you have for them, God, the words, the confirmation, the open doors, whatever that is, in your perfect timing and in your perfect ways. Lord, lead them by your spirit. God, make the path clear. Lord, give solutions, give clarity, give answers and direction. God, would they, Lord, be humble before you? And Lord, would you have your way in in their lives, in all of our lives? And God, we thank you. We praise you this morning, Lord. We want to respond to your word with songs of praise, God, just declaring who you are. God, not holding back, but Lord, offering every bit of ourselves to you. Lord, loving you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And God, as we take the communion elements as well this morning, the bread and the juice, Lord, will we remember your body that was broken, your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant. And Lord, will we go forth today in the power of the Spirit of God, Lord, to live lives that are radically different, lives that are radically set apart to you, 
God, have your way. We thank you, Lord, and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.